This is PhotoBizX episode number 470 and today we are revisiting the topic of book projects and specifically we, or I have, a Q&A session that I recorded with Katie Collenberg to bring to you today. If you've ever thought about the idea of a book project, maybe you've done one in the past and it didn't work out as planned or you're looking for ways to improve how well your next book project goes, this episode will be perfect for you. As I mentioned, Katie Collenberg is our special guest and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Hola y bienvenido to the Photo PhotoPSX podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. This episode is coming to you from the beautiful town of Girona in Spain's northeastern Catalonia region. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images, and as you heard in that intro, I am coming to you from Girona in Spain. This is week three here for me on this incredible holiday. We have new house guests arriving today, intruders, <laughs> if you like, and they'll be filtering in over the next week or so as we get ready for the big trip to France on the 1st of July. If you've heard the last few episodes of the podcast, you'll know that I had a broken wrist. It hasn't stopped me from riding the bike, which is the main reason I'm here in Spain and and heading to France as well, which is great. I did, however, pick up COVID. It's gone through the house. Man, it is so contagious. Uh, It's just scary how quickly it went through the house. I've got a pesky cough that's lingering, but other than that, it hasn't been too bad. So I'm going to keep things pretty short today so I don't go into fits of coughing while I'm recording. And uh, we're going to get into this uh, interview with Katie in just a second. Now today's episode, it's a little bit different to the usual because it's a and a recording that I put together for members of the Profitable Book Projects course. So these were questions that came up after Katie delivered the training. And once it was recorded, both Katie and I thought, yeah, this would actually make a great episode for anyone who's considered doing a book project or maybe has tried in the past and just hasn't had the success that they thought they could have or should have, particularly when compared to the person delivering the training. Now in the show notes, you'll find a list of the questions if you want to fast forward or jump to those specific questions, or you can just sit back, let the interview play out and take the questions and answers as they come. Now, as usual, Katie over delivers here, so she not only answers the questions, but she adds so much more to each of her answers as well. So a really a, a jam-packed, helpful Q&A session coming to you shortly. Now, don't forget, if you aren't listening to the free version of the podcast, you won't be hearing the full interview today with Katie. I am saving the second half of the interview or the Q&A session for premium members only. So if you want to hear the full interview like the premium members do, if you want to stop missing out on the best content every single week, you can check out the premium membership for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. There are more details about that over at photobizx.com forward slash try. And talking about links, I did refer to the show notes earlier. If you want to check out the show notes for today's episode, they are at photobizx.com forward slash 470. Again, in those show notes, I've got a list of all the questions that I put to Katie to give you some idea of what we'll be covering. There are examples of Katie's book covers, the insides of one or two of her books, and links to anything and everything that she mentioned. It's all there in that one spot at photobizx.com forward slash 470. 
Welcome to another great day for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Hey, it's Andrew here from PhotobizX, and I've got Katie Collenberg back with me to answer your questions from the Photography Book Projects course. Katie, welcome back. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be back. Awesome. We're going to jump straight into this. I'm going to throw these questions at you. You can answer them as you see fit. If it's a short answer, give us a short answer. If it's something more involving, then we'll jump into it for sure. Um, the first question comes from Angela and she's asking, she says, I'd love to know how Katie sets her target audience for Facebook ads. Yeah. Okay. Well, there are three audiences that I tend to focus on. So there'll be a, a cold audience, a warm audience, and then I like to do a lookalike audience as well. And the targeting for my cold audience, I usually try and keep it quite broad. So, you know, an age range that's suitable to the project. And it does vary. Obviously, if it's a baby project, it's slightly different to if it's a kid's project or some other kind of project. Um, I keep it broad. I don't put much detailed targeting in. A lot of the detailed targeting I've found in Facebook ads is diminishing and I'm finding it yes less useful. So the widest reach that I can get for the cold audience I think is useful. And then if you find the ads not going to plan, then you can always tweak it. And then with the warm audience, there's no targeting in there at all. They're just my followers, my maybe my email list, website visitors, Instagram, et cetera. And the lookalike audience is based off a client list. Got it. Okay. So just to be clear, so the cold audience is people who have never heard of you. You're basically creating an ad on Facebook. You're targeting gender. I'm guessing females. Yeah. I mean, most of the book projects, yes, that we've done. We may be the first one. We might've done both because that was with animals involved. We might've done male and female for that. But look, most of my ads target females for anything I ever do. Right or wrong, I'm not going to comment on that. I'm not a Facebook ad expert, but that's what we do. Fine. So you eat females of a certain age bracket that live within the area that you service. Yes. And then you let the copy and the images do the heavy lifting. Yes, that's right. There have been occasions where I've put parents uh, all or parents of kids of a certain age in as well. It really depends on the project. Okay. So in, for the listener, you're going to the demographics of the interest-based targeting for that. Yes. So, And your warm audience is people who like your Facebook page, website visitors. So you have a Facebook pixel on your website yep. and your email list, which you can upload into Facebook. That's right. Yep. Cool. And then the lookalike audience, like you said, based on your warm audience lists. Yes. You can also add into your warm audience things like interaction with certain posts and ads as well, if you want to. So they might've already seen previous ad for the same thing or a different thing. And I think it's actually a good idea to put them in there because your cold audience then will be broader because it's not including those people. Okay. So you're looking to make your audience larger, not smaller. Yeah. And at the cold audience particularly, and you're also looking to make sure you exclude those warm audiences from your cold audience so that you're not giving them two sets of ads served up. Does that make sense? It does. Absolutely. You just want the cold audience to reach as many new people as possible who've never heard of you before. Yes. And then have the copy speak to them with the images and then click on the link and away you go. Yeah. Cool. This next one, I guess it's not so much of a question. I was uh, exchanging some emails with Sue. She was, like so many of us there on the training, Katie, were inspired by your book title or your book titles. One of them was Teddy and Me. Mm -hmm. um, she was looking for alternative ideas because, like you said, we don't want people to copy exactly what mm -hmm. you're doing, come up with your own ideas. Um, I had some really quick suggestions. I had kids and their toys, toddlers and their toys, teddies and toddlers snuggles and cuddles kids and their comforters my blankie and me right i mean <laughs> yeah. 
they're pretty rough and ready. But my point was, I mean, there's so many different things we can brainstorm. We can do that, you know, together underneath the course where there's a comments area set up now. They can do that with their one-on-one call with you. And they can do it with other photographers. Mm-hmm. Have you got anything else to add to that? Um, to try not to get too hung up about the name as well, because a really simple name can be just as effective. Like our current project is called Canberra Kids. Like that's it. And it's as bad. I think that's about as basic as it can come, but it really doesn't make any difference because it's the concept and the imagery that's going to attract people. The name might attract some people, but whether or not they end up going ahead and booking, it's just, it's marketing. A name is just marketing and it's not necessary. But if you can come up with a catchy title, great. I'm all for it, but I love language and I love words and I like the process of coming up with ideas. So therefore I would put that extra effort in, but also with Canberra Kids, we just decided not to overcomplicate it and and go for it as is. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of difference to your profitability or success of the project. Based on the name alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cool. There's a question here from Jan. She's saying, if I run a low volume, higher price business model, would it be better to create packages at a lower price point? And she fears that too many people would say no, and I'd only have three participants if I stayed with my higher prices. Mm. Well, we have, I mean, I think our pricing is quite high. And I suppose it's about that education aspect. I mean, I don't know where exactly she sits compared to us, but, you know, in our market in Canberra, we're probably sitting at the upper end of expected sales and average sales, not right at the top, but definitely in the upper upper end. And, you know, we regularly have clients that spend, you know, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000, but we also have clients who can spend just over a thousand or around the $1,500 mark and still get a great experience. So I don't think that the pricing is as you know, I know it's hard when you're trying something new and you have those fears and sometimes you do have to take a little risk, but I don't think it's as big a deal. I would just make sure that you have something that's priced at the lower end of what people can spend with you because that tends to be the reason why someone might feel more comfortable about booking. You know, just like you wouldn't go in hard in a phone call with a cold client who's never heard of you, you wouldn't go in hard and say, oh, well, most of our clients spend $5,000. Um, if your average sale is, you know, only 1800 you wouldn't do that. You might expect that some clients will convert over to that higher, but you wouldn't want to scare people away. So I feel like it's the same with a book project to let people know that what's the minimum that they can spend with you. And that usually helps appease any fears that they can still have a great experience and spend maybe just under a thousand or around the thousand dollar mark and put a package around there and then lead the best value package to what you want your average spend to be. Right, which you've got the example there in the course for us too. Yes, of how we do it. And that's according to our averages. So, you you know, that middle package is sort of the, you know, that's our average spend roughly. It's a bit below. But then we expect people are going to, you know, buy a couple of experience, maybe add something on. And then we have a lot of people spending, you know, the top dollar or doing a complete a la carte order as well. So it all balances out. So, yeah, um, just read the question to me again and just make sure I've covered it. Yeah, so if I run a low-volume, higher-priced business model, would it be better to create packages at a lower price point? Yeah, so I think the fear with that kind of business model is just that when you have a low-spending client, it really affects your averages because you don't have as many people to buffer it, you know, to, to smooth it back out again. And so, yeah, I think I've probably covered it. Just um, be brave and trust that your work will sell itself as it does with you know, when you're not doing a book project and just make sure you have options that are for the people who may be scared off, but they don't have to be low price. They still should be within your normal range of of pricing, but just 
at that more minimum end. Right. So the whole idea of the book project isn't to bring in brand new, lower paying clients. You're still aiming to get your normal studio average, aren't you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Otherwise, I feel like it's a different exercise. It's more like, you know, you're trying to fill it. You might be trying to fill a low, you know, a low spot in your bookings and it might be more like mini sessions, you know, which a book project could also work for. I just like the idea that it becomes a revenue stream and a lead generating stream alongside all of your other ones. I think that's where they become very successful and you're more likely to do more and more and to get a greater satisfaction out of doing them. Cool. Got it. Angela says, Andrew, several of us here have followed another book project method, but found we did not get our ideal clients with the low barrier of entry. It was a $100 participation fee. So that was her concern about having that low barrier to entry. Any ideas? Yeah, I have spoken to a few people about this on -on one-on-ones as well. And I think I acknowledge that there is a risk. And, you know, in our business model, we've often had these low entry barriers and we also do a lot of or have done a lot of loss leaders in the past as well. So we're comfortable with this model because we're used to it. But I totally understand how scary it can be if it's not something that you normally do. It makes absolute sense. It's like suddenly, you know, raising your prices by a huge amount or removing, you know, some lower priced prints, you know, it's like, oh my God, what's going to happen when I do this? Am I going to suddenly, is this going to suddenly open the door to all these things that, you know, I've never experienced before? And is that going to make everything fall in a heap? So I totally understand. However, that's where your education of through the client, of the client comes in handy. And it's really important in these types of marketing activities that you have your information clearly laid out on the landing page, that you have excellent resources available to the client, like videos of your products, you know, excellent brochures that outline the experience and all of the things that they're going to get from you, which aren't just photographs or aren't just digital files. And really make sure you incorporate those things into your conversations with the client at the point of booking. And if they're not educated and they don't seem like a good fit, you can send them away to do a bit more research. And often that's the point where they might just drop off and decide not to book. It's not your job to put people off, I don't think. Well, I don't like to do that because I don't want people to feel alienated or like they're not good enough for us. I just want them to understand that there are aspects to the process with us that they should consider so that they give themselves enough time to make the best decision. And sometimes the best decision is this is out of my budget. I love the idea of it, but I can't afford to spend, you know, $1,000 on prints. And then they go away and they don't book and that's okay because then you don't have to deal with the fallout from that. And that's my approach. It's not everyone's approach, but it works for us. And we've been doing this this type of marketing and these types of, you know, low barrier activities for years and years and years. And we still have good average sales and a very, very low no sale rate. And when we do get a no sale, it's nearly always from a book project because the client has told little porky pies, little <laughs> lies for the Americans about, about what they wanted. And that's not on you, that's on them. And unfortunately, I think it's just a fact of life that you will get some of those every now and then unfortunately. And the best way to handle that is to try and figure out that that's what's going to happen before they get into the sales room so that you can can their appointment. So you don't waste time editing the photos and doing their in-person sales appointment. It's still disappointing, but it's not as disappointing as when they're sitting in the sales room telling you that they just want a copy of the book. (laughs) So For sure. Yeah. 
Hopefully that makes sense. It does. But what are your thoughts on having a, a two, four or five hundred dollar, you know, entry fee to the book project? Yeah, look, I think that's okay if it's in line with your normal business practices. You know, if say you had a, a much higher minimum spend or or you had to pay up front and it was a much higher price point, like say around a thousand dollars, then I think having, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars to get into the book project is totally fine. It might include some credit or something like that, and that might give you that safety net. And I think that's fine. I think you need to make sure that what you do here is gonna suit your business model. And that might just alleviate that fear the first time you do it. Right. You don't want to be too high that you push people away from actually yes. you know, participating as well, don't you? That's another fear that people are going to have. Because, yeah, the whole point of, well, not the whole point, but one of the biggest reasons why book projects can be so effective is because they create a bit of a wow factor, you know, with your marketing to the potential audience. Like, oh, wow, I can be in a book or my dog can be in a book or my baby can be in a book. This is fun. And it's like happening now. I was thinking about a session, but this is going to make me book. And you want it to be nice and easy for them to do that without having to go away and do all of the research that they might normally want to do before committing to spending a large amount of money. And of course, they may still spend a large amount of money, but you just push them over the edge. And I feel that portrait photography uh, marketing these days has to be about creating opportunities to make people book or they just don't. I'm sure you agree, Andrew. A hundred percent. Like, well, they could just put it off for years and years. <laughs> and I'm sure that a lot of people, you know, who have done this course or listening to this would be like, well, yeah, I haven't had family portraits done or my pets photographed or, you know, whatever it might be for, <laughs> I'm overdue too. You know, we all do it and time can go really fast and you just want to get people in because that's what keeps a steady stream of clients in your business. So, opportunities and making the opportunities sound as attractive and as appealing and as easy as possible is the name of the game. Totally agree. Totally agree. Holly has asked, would a book project be a good idea to help get established in a new location or should I get my business established first? Hmm. I'm going to say from a theoretical perspective, I can see why it would be a good idea. However, I think it's important to ease your way into business and to create confidence and safety within how you operate. And a book project has a lot of moving parts and those things can make uh, processes and systems slightly more complicated than what they might be ordinarily. So in order to get established in a new city or or re-establish yourself or establish yourself in the first place, I would just be running some general promotions and have clients sort of get accustomed to you and you get accustomed to that space and that, you know, before launching into a book project. Yeah. And my approach is just coming from a a point of view of not overwhelming yourself, of not creating, you know, life stress and panic and, you know, interfering with your mental health. And I think that when you're not fully familiar, that can happen much more easily. So yeah, totally agree. That's a great answer. Yulia asked, who is actually buying these printed books? I just can't wrap my head around why anyone would want to buy a book if it didn't only have their own child's photos. Well, it's just, it's mostly the participants and then they buy them as gifts for family members as well. So we find that most people buy more than one copy. So they might initially think, oh yeah, I'll just get the one. And then by the time they're in the sales room, like, oh, let's add one on for grandma. Um, We'll get an extra copy for our child as well when they grow up. And then what we also do is at the very end, when we're about ready to send it to print, 
we just put a quick call out to everybody in the project one more time and just say, if anyone wants any extra copies, you've got till tomorrow, close the business to call us and pay on the phone or something like that. And often that might give us an extra five or 10, you know, which may change the quote slightly, but, you know, we do that in conjunction with our printer to make sure that's all okay. Um, Yeah. So it's just, it's the families involved. Sometimes we make a few extra sales later once they're on the shop, but it's not really the purpose for us. Mm -hmm. So the books that you have for sale on your shop page on your website, which I've linked to in the course material, they're really just surplus books. Yeah. Yeah. We usually, we usually get like 20 or so extras. And sometimes it means we haven't quite met the target. Like it might've meant, oh, there was one year where, I don't know if there was a mistake somewhere. I'm not sure whether it was a miscommunication, but we ended up with a lot more than we anticipated. And yeah, so they're just sitting there and they just go to waste. Otherwise we always keep some copies for the studio, you know, as kind of those master copies. But yeah, other than that, they're just sitting on the shop for people to buy down the track. Do you give any to the charity that you were supporting? We did with um, Panda, yes, with Babies and Bonnets. They're an amazing charity to work with and they really enjoyed it. So we sent them copies each time, but we haven't done that with any of the others. Cool. Diana asks, is there a minimum number of shoots you suggest for the book? And also to go on with that, what if it's 100, would you rather do one big book or a book one and a book two? Yes, volumes. You'll find that over about 120, 140 pages in a book is pretty fat, not easy to open and flick through, might be a bit heavy, may actually be outside of your printer's limits as well. So it's important to investigate that up front. That's why that aspect of getting the quote and thinking about the type of book you want to make is really important to have, you know, right at the start to have that conversation and to look into and do that research right at the start before you actually make any commitment of timeframes and calendars and things like that. Because you might find that your printer might say, you know, we can only do up to this many pages if it's bound in this way. And then they might say you can bind it in this way, but it might add an extra cost onto your book and you might say, no, no, I don't want to do that. All right, cool. My page limit is this. And then work out your numbers from that. So my um, advice is to do a double page spread for each client. Of course, you don't have to do it that way, but it's so lovely for the client to open the page and it's all their their family or their pets. And if you do a double page spread then and you have 50 participants, then you've got 100 pages just taken up with the content. And then you might need a back page, you might need an acknowledgements page, a title page. So you might end up with an extra six pages or, you know, four at a pinch. So, yeah, so think about it from that point of view and have a look at some actual books, coffee table books and otherwise, and just see how they're laid out. And remember that paper stock also affects the thickness of a book too. And depending on your printer, you might not have very many options, very many choices. And it's quite different to going into a bookshop and looking through their art book section where you'll see this huge range of makes of books. And in most cases, we won't as, you know, as portrait photographers have access to that kind of range because mostly they're printed, a lot of them are printed overseas. Um, A lot of them, they would be looking at volumes of, you know, 10 to 20,000, maybe 50,000 books at a time to get those kinds of, you know, beautiful high-end books. So we might be more limited in in how we do this and what printers we can actually get our books printed through. So just make sure that that's part of your initial planning. Cool. Do you have a recommended stock thickness for the pages? Not really because I use Memento exclusively and they have a recommended paper for these types of books that are bound in this particular way. So 
off the top of my head, I can't even think what it is. And actually GSM is a funny thing because I could say, you know, 115 GSM, but that can vary so much with paper. It's the weight, not the thickness. So it can be very different and a complicated thing to use as a measure. The best thing is to ask your printer what they recommend for that type of book. Okay, got it. Uh, I can't remember who asked this, but it was, I think it was in the PhotoBizX members group. They were asking about soft cover or hard cover for your book. Yes, yes. And it sounded like their, um, I think it was Kendra. It sounded like the printer had said that the hard cover was going to be hard to get and maybe quite expensive and that they were a bit disappointed and thought they wanted a hard cover. So on that one, yes, I think a hard cover. Traditionally, people are going to value a hard cover book over a soft cover book. I think that's just how we've been you know, used to printing over the years. Like, you know, when a book comes out for the first time, it's usually hardcover and then they might release the paperback version later. And I'm just talking about fiction and bestsellers and stuff. So I think it's traditional that, you know, the hardcover book is more expensive and looks better and lasts longer. That said, there are more soft cover and more interesting art books coming out these days that have, you know, different paper stock and different approaches to printing. Some of them might even have, you know, rougher paper or torn edges and And so there's more variety out there, but I think that, you know, in most cases we're catering to a general audience who are going to have a particular perception around the way something should look. And so it's probably best to cater to that. And maybe it's not the right printer. You know, maybe if you get that kind of response or you're not happy with the price that there's another printer to look at that maybe handles, you know, something that's better for you. So, yeah, I highly recommend um, a hardcover wherever possible. Cool. Uh, different topic. What's the best time of year to start a book project or does it even matter? Yeah, I don't think it matters. I think it's very dependent on your business and what you need. You know, where do you need your bookings? Like if you, you know, always have a really busy spring, summer, maybe don't start your book project till when it dies down, you know, get all your ducks in a row and then get ready to hit it when it dies down. If you have, you know, a time of the year that's always quiet, then that's a great time to be in the middle of a book project because, you're going to have already got the bookings in the door. I'm just a big believer in taking control of these things if you can, because that allows you control over your booking levels and your profitability. So think about your business and your typical calendar and, and what your potential target market may be less attracted to. And I mean, if you run a book project in a quiet time, then that's when they book because that's when it's available, right? So your quiet time goes from a quiet time to a busy time. We've had these amazingly busy winters the last few years because of babies in bonnets, because whilst we limit some of our outdoor sessions, for example, in the middle of winter, believe it or not, Australia has some cold places and Canberra where I live is one of them. And in winter, in the morning, going out for a shoot, it's often minus five Celsius, which is below freezing for Americans and Canadians. And it's not as cold as Canada, obviously, but it's cold. And so we opt not to do sessions in the middle of winter in the morning, which means we suddenly limit the amount of sessions we can take on. And so then keeping the studio really full becomes quite important because it means we can still do the same amount of sessions. And traditionally over the last few years, July, our July sales have been one of the biggest sale months of the year because of this. So even though we've cut out, you know, four or five outdoor shoots over a fortnight, it's actually made up for. So I think 
you know, the best you can use this to your advantage in your business, the more successful that you'll be and the more successful the project will be, therefore you're more likely to do it again, make it even better. (laughs) And I think I said at some point in the class too that we were going to try this year to do a project that ran across the summer break because one of the things that we find in Canberra and I'm sure other Australian states may be similar to this is that it's very hard to get um, full, to be full early in the year to have your calendar at capacity. And the main reason for that is that you have to do the marketing in November, you know, to start filling up January and February. And in Canberra where I live, pretty much the whole city just departs in January and they don't come back till the school holidays are over. And so, you know, trying to get those bookings as you approach Christmas can be really hard. So if you're running a book project and you start marketing, you know, in spring or in September, October for us, and you start booking people in for early in the year, then there's a good chance that you could start the year fully booked and not have to think about marketing much at all until, you know, well into the school year. So I think, you know, so we're going to try that going into next year and see what a difference that makes to early year stress and late year stress in terms of booking (laughs) and marketing. Less stress is better. Absolutely. So, yeah, and that's where a book project comes in handy because if you can try and get, you know, you market like crazy and you try and get all those leads in as quickly as you can and start booking them, then you sort of can just ease off a bit. You can yeah. can take the brakes off and or you can put the brakes on, sorry, and just <laughs> slow down and be, you know, look at this, my calendar's full for the next three months. So Yeah, perfect. Well that leads me to the next question from Kim, which is a scary one. What if you can't get enough participation for your book project? participation is in like enough bookings is that what yeah so you run your ads and you're just not getting a response you're just not filling the spots yeah well i mean this did happen a little bit with teddy and me where it took a long time and we did have to spend a lot more in advertising than what i would have originally liked to do so i understand that that fear i did have a few little not panicky moments i think i'm past the point of easily panicking in my business but i definitely had some moments of disappointment and wondering what i should do do i throw more money at it or do i just you know, do I just, do I run it for longer? Do I turn the ads on off and then turn them back on again later? Is it the wrong time of year? And then, you know, of course there was the, hmm, I wonder if I've stuffed this up a little bit. I wonder if I could have done this better. Um, What I ended up doing with Teddy and me, you know, I wanted 50 and I think we settled for around 30 in the end because I just decided that it wasn't having the, I wasn't getting the average sales I wanted. And rather than stretch it out and then impact on potentially starting something new, I just decided to call it and cut it off where it was. It's still a beautiful book and I'm still really happy because I'd wanted to do that topic for so long. Um, I think I would potentially do it again one day too, but having learnt some of the things that I didn't maybe do so well, I would run it differently. I'd run it more like Canberra Kids, which we're doing at the moment, which is having a much better success rate. In what way, Katie? Like, What would you have done differently? So I would have made it less complicated. We had two options with Teddy and me. One of them was a mini session option just for the child in the book with all upfront cost and a same-day purchasing appointment, knowing that some families might have kids that weren't wanting to be involved in it. So we offered that, you know, as a little experiment. Wouldn't do it again. Didn't like it. Those clients actually ended up spending a similar amount of money to the ones that did the full session, to be honest. And then we had the full session option. And I just think it was confusing to people. I think it goes back to that a confused mind says no. And I suspect if we had have just made it simple, straightforward with one buy-in, just like we're doing with Canberra Kids, that we would have gotten more people in the door and probably would have made the numbers quicker and probably would have got our 50. So, yeah, look, sometimes I'm not going to say this is common. And I actually, you know, from most of the people I've spoken to in one-on-one so far, people have got great ideas 
they're pumped to do this. I find it hard to believe that a book project would completely tank. I just think that it might be a matter of tweaking some things if you're finding that it's not quite filling up as quickly as you want. And those things could be a business process things or they could be your landing page, they could be your ads. I think in business, um, like I'm a really candid person, business is hard and sometimes things don't go to plan and sometimes it can be deeply frustrating, sometimes it can be deeply confusing and that's why it's good to have support networks and people that you can call on for advice and help because if we're trying to do it all alone and you don't know what the answer is, then you're stuck, you know, and then you might end up thinking, I'm useless, I can't do this, I never should have done this. And that's also, you know, again, speaking really candidly, I think that's a normal thing that most business owners and most creatives go through from time to time. So I think it's important to acknowledge that, yes, there's a possibility that things might not work out, but then it's up to you to push harder or to just, you know, go, you know what, I'm going to call it or to make some adjustments or to reach out for help. That That's that's what I do. That's what I've learned to do. I've had some, I don't want to call them failures, but I've had some things not go so well in lots of aspects of my business over the years. Even when I've had great advice and great support and the right training, um, and sometimes it's just that there is an aspect missing. So I'm not going to like sugarcoat it and be like everyone's going to produce these kick-ass, you know, $100,000 book projects because there will be issues sometimes with some people. But like we're all running businesses. We've all had issues before. We've all had difficult clients before. We've all questioned our ability before. We can get through this. And when you come out the other side of something that hasn't gone so well and you've you've made it work and it's been a success. It's a very satisfying feeling. gives you a real boost as a creative and as a business owner. And also it's really important sometimes to just acknowledge that it didn't work out. Like Teddy and me, you know, it just didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. And I'm cool with that because I'm not perfect and that's okay to not be perfect. And I cut it off at that 30, you know, that was the best decision that I could have made. And just, I still love the book. Like I still loved shooting it. Are still satisfying it. And all of the beautiful people that did it, they felt the same way. So why would I beat myself up about it and call it a failure? It wasn't a failure. It just wasn't as successful as the other ones. And I love now that, you know, you can look back and at the time it was probably the worst thing ever, but you can look back now and you got through it and yeah. you got a beautiful book, you got happy clients. Like you said, it wasn't a failure. It just didn't go like you thought or hoped it might. That's right. That's right. So I don't think anyone's going to be in a situation where they're not getting anything, but definitely, you know, this is why the course has lots of parts. This is why I've been so thorough with the planning, particularly to make sure that you have all those parts lined up and you've considered all of the bits and pieces that you need to consider, like your landing pages and your ad copy and your beautiful test shoots to get those, you know, standout images, because there are lots of things that you need to get right to really kick it off. And remember that, you know, not to compare your start of journey to somebody else's middle of journey as well. Yeah. I think that's really important. It only took us one book project to get to what I was really happy with, you know. And the first one was still a success. The second one was, you know, rip-roaring, amazing, you know. So good. Shout from the rooftops. So, (laughs) and I believe that everyone's got the ability to do that. Just have to, sometimes you have to go through a few, you have to, you know, wade through a bit of mud first to get to that. Absolutely. Talking about the processes and some of the things you covered in the actual course, I've heard from a few different participants asking, you know, what do Katie's, what do your SMS messages contain? Because you sort of talked about you send out these SMS messages. What are the, can you touch on those? Mm-hmm. 
premium members of PhotoBizX hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. No, no, not for me. No. <laughs> Katie, again, you've been so amazing, generous with your time and your knowledge. I can't wait to hear feedback from course participants on how they go with their books. I know you're probably going to hear yes. as well, and I'm looking forward to featuring them at some point. Me too. And hearing how they've gone. Katie, for anyone that's come in late, where's the best place to learn more about you and you know book their – I've got links on where they can book their one-on-one call if they signed up originally, but if they come in later, where can they go to learn more about you? Yeah, so um, Instagram, the KDK Way is my Instagram handle, or they can jump onto my website, which I'm sure you can post, which is kdk.com.au, sign up to my email list, and you'll get to know me very well if you sign up to my email list. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much it. Are we going to see you in a romper? <laughs> No, definitely not. Not in a romper and definitely not at this time of year anyway. Although I'm sure there are adult versions of rompers, but yeah, not my thing. I'm too old for that stuff. (laughs) But um, no, I send out an email once a week to my email list, sometimes more than once a week if I've got things happening, but usually it's once a week. And it's just um, information, free content to help you with your life and business and being a creative human. And yeah, it's a great community. And I guess most of the people who are listening to this will be on that list already. So thank you and welcome. Fantastic. Thanks again, Katie. You're amazing. Thanks, Andrew. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Katie Collenberg or that Q&A session slash interview. I hope you found some takeaways and also feel inspired to get on and get your own photography book project going. They really can be a fantastic marketing vehicle for your business. Now, if you have any follow-up questions for Katie and you are a premium member, you can hit her up inside the members' Facebook group. You can ask her photography book project-specific questions. That is totally fine. If you are listening to the free version of the podcast, you can use the comments section at the bottom of the show notes, or you can reach out to Katie via any of her social media handles. I've got links to those in the show notes as well. And of course, if you haven't enrolled in the Photography Book Projects course and you'd like to do that, head over to photobizx.com forward slash book projects for more details on the course, the training. There are a number of PhotoBizX members and listeners going through the training right now or have already started their book project and have them due to come out later this year, which is exciting. I, I can't wait to hear from more photographers that are putting the course material into action. And uh, who knows, it could be a follow-up interview or two from them as well. Alrighty, I'm not sure if you can hear that noise in the background, but it sounds like the workers have fired up their jackhammers and uh, saws and they're getting into things across the road from where I'm staying. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Wish you a fantastic week ahead. Stay safe, healthy and well, and I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Bye.